Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Average Money Podcast. It's a voicemail episode today. One of Brad and I's favorites. Uh, I'm still in New York. In-person podcasts, I feel like, always go so much better. Mm -hmm. When you have a a face-to-face conversation, it makes it more real. Instead of being in front of a camera for Zoom calls. But guys, we got uh, we got three different voicemails coming today. You guys have been coming in clutch. We asked for a few voicemails from the community, and you guys answered. And we got some really good ones today. Like I said, we have three we're going over. We have Taylor. He's 20 from Ohio, and he has a question about dividends versus index funds and ETFs. We got Valerie. Valerie has a question about, you know, she's uh, she thinks she's a little late to the game with investing, getting things set up financially. So we'll be able to hear her story and give our thoughts. And then we have Kevin. Him and his wife did a cash out refi to become private lenders. And he's asking, should they keep doing this this lending game or would they be better to put it into the market? So three good ones today. You'll hear Brad and I's opinions. Um, You know, what probably we would do maybe in their situation. That's kind of how I like to answer these voicemails is, I like giving my own opinion like I'm in the person's shoes and kind of think about what I would do in their situation. So guys, if you're new to this podcast, again, this is the Average Money Podcast. I'm JJ, joined every week with my good friend, Brad. Brad, how you doing, buddy? Good, man. You've been here for a couple of days and this is actually the first time we've actually sat down to try and get some work done. So, you know, I I love the voicemails. I'm glad that we got a couple more in. I'm glad that we're able to you know, give our feedback. You know, it's it's great when the listeners come up with content for us. Mm-hmm. And because a lot of times we don't even really, you know, we overlook things and we don't really understand. Sometimes it's hard for us to like go back. It's not like hard for us to remember where we came from. But right now in our current situation, we kind of forget where we once were. So it's also nostalgic when we hear people like Valerie talk about, you know, some debt and what should she be doing next and feeling like she's a little behind. And it's like, it brings us right back to when we yep. were in debt and things like that. So yeah, I love these episodes. I'm excited to talk about these three stories. Good, good deal. We had a uh, we had a good weekend, man. Went to uh, NYC yesterday. Mm-hmm. Got to bring the wife. That was the first time she's ever been seen the big city, dude. I'll tell you what, man. <laughs> that's uh, that's a whole nother world up there, bud. We uh, made a good time. A whole nother world up there compared to back home. Things move a little differently. We checked off a lot of things. We got a lot done, man. We yeah. got to see uh, Empire State Building, got to grab some street slice, buy the pizza by the slice, which was amazing. Times Square. Times Square. We went to uh, Ground Zero. Battery Park. See the Statue of Liberty. Statue of Liberty. I can see the Statue of Liberty already. It's quite <laughs> small, of course. I, I still don't know what that's from. Oh, dude, come on. Titanic, man. <laughs> no, it was a good time. We had a great time. So now it's time to get to work. We got a few hours before I gotta catch my flight, so we need to uh, we need to make make the best of it while the wives are upstairs doing whatever they do with the kiddos, hanging out with the kiddos. Thank That's you, right. thank you, wives. Thank you, wives. Yeah, we got their episode done too. That was a that was a good one, man. One year episode. That's probably coming out before this one, I'm guessing. So you guys may have already heard it. Yeah, and just know that we had to rush through because we had a dinner reservation. That's yeah, we were cutting it pretty close. The Uber's out in the driveway waiting for us honking. We're like, hang on, we gotta wrap this up real quick. <laughs> it's like, thanks a lot for listening, guys. Our Uber's <laughs> in the driveway. <laughs> oh man, no, it was good. It was yeah. a good time. Awesome. So do you wanna you wanna get started with these? Yeah, man, dive right in. So we'll get started with the first one. We got Taylor, twenty year old from Ohio, question about dividends versus index funds. Hey Brad and JJ, my name's Taylor. I'm twenty from Ohio. 
First off, I want to say I love the channel. You guys are doing great. Keep up the great work. But the issue I'm running into is I currently have my Roth IRA maxed out for the year. I'm slowly getting into dividends. And I recently learned from a podcast about ETFs and index funds. I don't know whether to keep at it with the dividends and get an early start or if I should focus a little bit on ETFs as well, split it 50-50, or if there's one I should focus on more. Any input you guys have is greatly appreciated. Uh, like I said, keep up the good work, and thank you. So I want to preference this this part of the podcast first by saying when it comes to investments inside the stock market, majority of Brad and I's investments in the market are in index funds. Correct, 96% for me. Is that your entire net worth or is that your entire investments within the stock market? Because um, the reason I asked this is because I know sometimes in previous podcasts I say majority of my net worth is in index funds. Well, now it's not. Majority of my net worth is now in real estate. When I mention 96% of my investments, I mean like uh, inside brokerage accounts, Got not it. including real estate or things like that. Okay, so your entire investments that are made up of the stock market yeah, if you if you took my if you took my Roth IRA, my four three B, my four fifty seven, and my taxable brokerage accounts, ninety six percent of the money in there is in index funds, index funds or yes. ETFs. Yes, the okay. rest, the other four percent, is my leaps options, mm-hmm. my nine stocks that I own, or something mm-hmm. like that, and a little bit of Bitcoin. Got it. So yeah. I'm probably a little. A little less heavy in index funds. I probably have a little bit more stocks in mm-hmm. my my taxable brokerage account. I also have individual stocks in my SEP IRA. But for the most part, majority of my investments inside the stock market, be retirement funds, taxable brokerage, all that, is in index funds. Right. So that may already kind of answer our question. But let me help. Let me explain this a little bit better. Explain why though. Right. Yeah. So when you invest in a single stock a dividend stock, a growth stock, whatever it may be. I'm not saying you're putting your eggs in one basket because hopefully you're diversifying through different companies. But when you do go invest in one stock, you are reliant on that one company of loan to do well, to outperform the market. And if that company, which a lot of them out there, do not outperform the market on an everyday or an annual basis, then you are technically losing money, technically, Compared to investing in the index fund. And the reason I say that is because with an index fund or an ETF, that is made up, it it tracks an index. And when I say it tracks an index, it tracks something called like the S&P 500, VOO, for example. Or any like large group of companies basketed together. Correct. So what you're doing is this investment you're making in this one single fund Mm -hmm. that's made up of many different types of stocks is you are diversifying your investment. You are being a little bit more conservative But I got to say that lightly with being conservative because even though you're being conservative by diversifying, your returns Mm -hmm. are still whatever the market's going to be. Correct. So what what people don't understand a lot is there's been studies done in the past of hedge funds. Guys who went to school for this, they do this for their job. They are constantly analyzing companies on the daily and I, over a long period of time, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like 92% of hedge funds do not outperform the market on a consistent basis yeah. over the long term. I don't know if it's 90, whatever you said. Yeah. It's in the 90s, yeah. though. 
Over a 20-year period, something like that? Yeah, over a 20-year period. So, so what we're saying technically is... Kathy Wood could have great last year. How's she doing this year? Not so good. <laughs> you know what I mean? So if you just put your, your money in an index fund to track the market, that saves you, one, a lot of time from right. having to research stocks, having to pick the stocks that you think is going to perform well. You know, that that it's kind of like that basis. We always bring up like the foundation. Index funds should be the foundation of your stock market portfolio. I do want to cut you off quick and just remind people that not all ETFs are index funds. True. And I, I, that triggered in my yeah. mind with something like Kathy Wood. Like the, even like Vanguard's um, VGT, which is the ETF, that just tracks, it doesn't really track an index. It just tracks a group of stocks in one particular tech sector. So when we say we, we're using index funds as an example, index funds come in mutual funds or in ETFs, but not every ETF is an index fund. So when JJ and I are talking about these net worths and stuff, we're talking about, like JJ is about to mention, like the broad base indexes yes. of the S&P 500, the Russell, the Dow, like the total stock VTSAX market. is our go-to. Yeah, yeah. And VTSAX is just a, it's a total stock market fund. So when Brad and I put our money into VTI, which is the ETF version of VTSAX, right. we're practic we're, we're basically putting, when we invest $100 into that, that $100 is getting separated through thousands of different companies. Correct. Now, all of them are weighted a little different. You know, there's more money goes into Apple versus some, you know, random small little $4 small cap stock. Correct. But in, in, in essence, you are investing in a wide range of companies. So you got to think if one of those companies happens to go bankrupt, it's not going to hurt you. Right. But if you're investing in one of these companies in your portfolio as a single position and that company goes bankrupt, that could be a huge blow to your portfolio depending on how big of a position they have in your brokerage account or index or, uh, or Roth IRA or whatever it may be. Yeah. And to that point, I, I'd be lying if I knew exactly what the number was, but in something like the total stock market or something like VTI, which is the S&P 500, like only like 20% of the companies inside that index actually are green at the end of the year. Yeah. So it's like you have VTSAX that has 3,500 companies in it. Mm -hmm. Maybe only 350 of them are actually green. So, and this is the thing that I love about index funds is because there's also, it makes it a little bit simpler to be an investor. Yeah. We preach that if you're going to own an individual stock, you better know that stock. And this mm -hmm. is all the way from Warren Buffett all the way down to peons like us. You should know exactly what that company does. If somebody were to ask you about the company, like you should know. Do the simple question. How does this company make money? Exactly. A lot of people can't answer that. Right. Well, it's the same people that say that like Tesla is not a car company, but then 90% of their revenue comes from cars. Yeah. So what the hell are they? But by doing something like an index fund. Easy now. I don't want to piss off the Tesla, <laughs> the Tesla holders. <laughs> you know, there's, it's just, you don't need to do as much due diligence because the, the creators of this index fund have already done that, 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 that bit of research for you. You don't have to do any due diligence. Exactly. If you're putting into VTSAX, you literally don't have to know how to write. No. And you can throw money into VTSAX and be done with it and call it a day. Yes. You never have to look at your portfolio ever. Ever. So this is what, to, to, I guess, really to answer the question here. Because we didn't even get into dividends. We, uh, I guess no, it. we didn't. But we, we wanted to do, like, I mean, Brad and I really are big believers in index funds. And that's why a lot of, majority of our money is, index, in, is in index funds. But I will say this. I love investing in stocks. Yeah. Specifically dividend stocks. So this is a great question for me. Now I'm going to say this. He's 20. Yes. Right? He's very young. Yes. 
So am I going to tell him to not invest in stocks and put all of his money in index funds? No, no, I don't think so at all. He has a much, he has a much more greater like risk tolerance. Yeah. 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 And and I want to say this too, like with him being so young, I love dividend stocks a lot, but I also say, don't be afraid to invest in growth either because you have a lot of time for that money to grow. Now, whenever I hear people like these, especially younger kids, they say they're long-term investors, but I'm not, not saying he's like this, but a lot of these things I'm hearing in comments and stuff like that give on YouTube is so many people are in and out of positions, in and out, in and out, yeah. in and out. You know, they, they get nervous when they drop 10%, 15%, like, oh my God, I, I got to get out of this. I'm losing too much money. When you invest in these dividend stocks, you need to be prepared to hold them for the long term. Yes. You know, do your due diligence like we've talked about and find the companies that work well, figure out the ones that you want to own that you think are going to be long-term holders for you in your portfolio and you'll be fine. But I still think to answer the question that most, almost everyone out there should have a foundation of their portfolio in index funds and ETFs and then have whatever percentage feels comfortable comfortable for you. Brad, that's, you know, 8% for you. That's what I was going to say. You have to figure out, yeah. what would you say, what would you say the low end should be? Like Ooh. someone that's risky, like some like someone like you that's a little more risky. Yeah. 75% index funds? I mean, honestly, it, here's the thing. It, it, depending on like what your due diligence looks like. Because I'll admit my, ni- my 95 five is a little too on the conservative side, but I, I also I but I also hold thing. a large amount of cash because I'm looking to deploy that into real estate. Yeah. So that that number is a little bit skewed a little bit when you look like if you took if you took the amount of cash that I have waiting to deploy, I think it lowers it down to almost like 80 20. Okay. Like cash and stocks and, and like if, if you look at that whole net worth picture that you were talking about a yeah. minute ago, it would be more, I think, like 80-20 for me. So the 90, okay. I just say 96 so I can sound like a big shot index fund investor. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that makes sense. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's hard for me to, I can't really give a certain percentage, man. Okay. I can't because it all depends about the certain investor. Um, I honestly don't even know what my percentage is. Okay. I probably should know, but I don't. Yeah. Um. I just know I have that kind of, like I know all my retirement accounts minus my SEP, that's fairly a fairly new account, Right, is all index funds. And then I know my taxable brokerage fund and right now is sitting at around 25% of the amount of money I have in my taxable brokerage. So I know, and then the companies I'm buying, dude, like I'm not buying these companies that are like super risky, not making any money yet. Like, you know, I have a maybe one or two in there that are doing that, Palantir, but you know, I'm pretty bullish on that. But, you know... A lot of my stocks are, are big blue chip companies, right? Dividend paying companies, solid balance sheet, very strong balance sheet. You know, so these companies are going to be able to withhand, you know, withhold through the storms of, of the down markets that are maybe coming. You know, in the next few years, who knows? Yeah. So that's kind of my that's that's my two cents, I guess. I do want to mention like because for whatever reason, people think I hate dividend stocks now because I started like I made a video how I sold all mine off, and I'm focusing more on other investments. For the record, what a pathetic loser. For the record, I do not hate dividend stocks. I do not hate dividend portfolios. I do not discourage people from doing it. It depends on what you want. Like, if if he wants to start building his dividend portfolio now, that that's great. Yeah. Do you, if you want money now, then if you need the passive income, then you do dividends. Yep. If you can defer that growth till later and not pay taxes now 
maybe go growth. Like I don't care. Yeah. We're talking efficiencies now that we always say, you know, like we're not talking life or death here. We're talking like, are you going to make a ton of money? Are you going to make a little less than a ton of money? Mm-hmm. Or are you going to be set for life? Yeah. Like worst case scenario, you're just flat all just plain boring set for life when it comes to money. Yep. Yeah, no, it's a good point. And again, like I think when you're younger, at least mm-hmm. I know I did this, you try to like, you try to match, you know, what other, which, which makes sense. You know, you yeah. want to match with other people who are ahead of you in life and are becoming su- successful. But I also want to say, you know, like as much as important as it is to match what successful people are doing, you still have to find what works for you. Right. You know, and you'll, you'll understand that as the years go on. Right now, as a tw- I remember being 20 years old, like I can't imagine all of this stuff that's getting thrown at me on a daily basis for just my how to become better financially, how overwhelming that is. So just take it slow. Don't be afraid to change either. I feel some people get so hung up on like starting out, like, like for example, starting out as a dividend investor, right? I am a dividend investor and I can't ever buy a growth stock. You know what I mean? Yeah. I remember being like that. Yep. Dude, you can be whatever you want. You can own index. You can own- You can be 26 years old and say, I hate dividends. I never want them and just sell them all off and move them to growth. Or like, or, yeah. Yeah, or throw them in index or whatever you want to do. Nothing is set in stone. Consistency when it comes to opinions is the slow poison of the intellectual thinker. It's so true. Yep. Like, be okay with changing and adapting to your own surroundings. Great question, bud. Yeah, great one. So the uh, the next voicemail on today's podcast comes from Valerie. It's a great one. Hey, JJ and Brad. I love your podcast. I listen to you guys on my morning runs. So a double thank you for all the knowledge you guys are dropping as well as distracting me to run further. I don't feel like you hit upon this topic yet. Let's use me as an example. I'm a 45-year-old woman, no retirement investments. I feel like I'm so late in the game that I'll never be able to, one, climb out of debt, and two, have any significant savings. I'm married with two children and three years old, and we live off of one income that's under 50000 I have $45,000 worth of school loan debt, and there's really no more penny-pinching I can do to save anywhere. I know my immediate goal is to get a higher-paying job. Also, I would love to get a side hustle, but not sure where to go with that, and I rarely have time left for me or any spare time to devote to it. Anyway, if you guys can use my situation, as I'm sure it is many other situations as well, it would be very interesting to hear your feedback and thoughts. All right, guys. Thank you. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. Valerie, I'm going to start with something you don't want to hear. It's not too late. It is really not too late. And I, I started at 35, so about 10 years before you. And I did pretty good. Like I, It took some time, and I used to think that I was late to the game. But granted, yeah, I was 35. You're 45. I'll shout out Robin in my Discord. I know that she's, you know, she was one of those people that really thought that she was starting late and totally effed, you know. And in the six months she's been in my Discord, like and average money's Discord and average money's Discord, like gaining confidence, learning about investing, and I think I'm not speaking for, and she's never really said this, but she's learning how to just take things one step at a time, and she's starting to see things snowball and build upon each other, and I feel like. Uh, right now, Valerie's in that point where many of us are sometimes in our debt-free journey, where we look up at where the finish line is, and it looks like you have to climb Mount Everest to get there. And that one frustrates you. And I see this even when I teach in school. 
like if a kid, if a, if I give a, a test and there's five topics and the first question's on a topic a kid doesn't know, they get the rest wrong because we get in our own heads and we say like, I can't do this, I can't do this. So that's first and foremost. Like let things happen. You're 45. You still, you're pretty much at midlife. You have at least 40 more years to go, mm-hmm. right? So like when I said to my father, I don't want to go back to school and start a new degree. It's going to take me four years. That's so long. And he's like, are you going to, do you think you're going to live till 26? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's like, all right, well, how about we get there with a degree? So I say, even if you think it's going to take you 20 years to pay off your debt, do you think you're going to live to 65? My, I would hope so, God willing. So let, let's get out debt. For, let's be debt free at sixty five. So, because the other thing too is when you first start to lay out paying off debt, you get this timeline. But then, as I mentioned, with that snowballing and ways that you learn how to, you know, get more efficient and wait, and you start earning more money and things like that, the debt timeline always goes down. I'll talk about. The so like forty five, you can handle that. I promise. I don't know how long. It doesn't really fucking matter. Like, just get it done. You know. Then the next thing with the income, and I'm going to assume that you know. So as far as the income and being like uh, one income, you didn't really say that. Like my spouse or I. I don't even know who the one income was. I I think it was you, but maybe this is a situation where your spouse or the other person can't contribute income right now because you mentioned also getting a higher paying job for you in a side hustle. If that's the case, then, you know, God bless you. Like you, you're working your butt off. If it's not, maybe we can start to find other ways to bring in dual income. When I talk to somebody about trying to get a higher paying job and starting a side hustle, my first priority, and maybe JJ, you might agree or disagree with me, my first priority is to focus on the higher income first, then side hustle. Most people I know that have had successful side hustles, that's a lot of S's. I'm going to have to get the syllabus out of that one. <laughs> For the people that have had successful side businesses, it was it, it became successful because they had a good primary paying job. Great point. To help that in the growth phase. You can't get a you can't start a side hustle thinking that's what I'm going to live off. Like you can't start your landscaping business like, oh, I, I, I need a new career. I'm going to start a landscaping business tomorrow and do well. So, you know, W-2 jobs fund side hustles and then side hustles grow to outdo your your W-2 job. The, having one income on 45 grand, I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. That, that makes the struggle a little bit harder. And we have some episodes coming up about savings rate and things like that. And you and I only want to bring this up because you mentioned it. You mentioned both sides, but you can't really pinch pennies, pennies anymore. And I totally understand that. Like you can only cut spending so much. You can't live spending zero dollars, mm-hmm. you know, but, but your income is always infinite. So don't forget about that part and really just do the best you can. It doesn't sound like you're a dirtbag. No. You know, it sounds like it sounds like right now you're a mom of two that has a little bit of debt and you know, an income that could probably go up. You just have a you, you might just have a little bit more hard work to do and the beginning stages and the barrier to entry to success might be a little bit more difficult for you, but I don't think that's any reason to make excuses for why you can't do it in the end. And if that's like tough love, I'm sorry, but yeah, you you pretty much nailed it right on the head, kid. You said I got to try and get them income up. That income is going to bridge the gap because right now your savings rate is going to be based on 
raising up your income, not cutting any pennies down, right? If you make 50,000 and you spend 50,000, your saving rate is zero and you can't cut your spending any less. You have kids, childcare, food, things like that. But if you're at 50 and you could double it to 100, well, wow, you just went to a 50% savings rate. That's crazy. Yeah, you just went to a 50% savings rate and you're spending and you're spending the exact same amount of money. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I feel. Do, do you agree with most of the things like go for the income first, take it slow, you know, we'll let time kind of evolve and that she's is she screwed? You you might have a different opinion than me. Uh so I'll say this. I I definitely agree with everything you said. I would just probably do it a hair different. Okay. The only reason I say that is because there's one word as soon as I heard Valerie's voicemail that came to mind, and it was budget. Okay. I didn't hear her say it one time. I know she said she can't pinch pennies anymore, but is that with her saying she can't pinch pennies anymore because after all the bills have paid and they're done, they don't have anything left? Or does she actually stick to a budget every single month and knows that she's down to the pennies and that's what she can afford? So I'm going to first challenge Valerie to this. If you and your husband do not budget every single month and you guys know exactly down to the penny what's going out and what is coming in, I want to challenge you to start doing that today. Get a date night. Take the kids to the grandparents if if you can or wherever you can take the kids. Take you and the hubby out to a nice little dinner. Or go to McDonald's if you want to save some money, you know, wherever. But make it fun. You know, don't make it like, oh, no, we're, you know, we're in a... You shouldn't be mad at yourselves. Not not, at all. You're not in trouble. You're not grounded. If anything, you guys should be proud of yourselves right now because you are making that step to get better financially. Most people would say, F this. Like, we're 45. We're We're just going to live life. We're going to be in the rat race. I'm going to work till I'm 85 years old. Yep. So the fact that she's... And shout out to letting her know how they listen. She listened to the podcast. I always love hearing yeah. that how people listen to the the episodes. But um, you know, so so first of all, props to you for wanting to get ahead because with you just having that that mindset, you're gonna knock this out, chick. You're gonna get it because I know too. Like in all of the years we've done this, the people that have quote tried to achieve phi, most of them say ten years. Mm-hmm. It took me ten years of work to do it. So if you start today. And I mean, the majority of people that go for five start with a little bit of debt, start with a smaller income. If you started today, you're really looking at like 55. Well, not even not even five, man. Like yeah. like stop stepping down a, a level to to paying off debt. Most people say, oh well, you know, when we first start our journey, we're going to take us about four years to pay off our debt. We paid it off in two and a half. Right, exactly. That's because once you see that momentum picking up, yep. you get motivated. You start trying to figure out other ways to earn money. So that's kind of really helps you spark and ignite yeah. that that fury of wanting to get it done. So I wanted I wanted to say that was was budget number one. Go to dinner. Do a little budget, bring the spreadsheets or a piece of paper or hell, even a napkin and a pencil, whatever you guys got to do to write out down all your expenses and then your income. And then you have to figure out what's going to work for you. And then any dollar you have left over goes towards your debt, get that knocked out. But now that we've we've talked about budgeting and how important that really is in a a debt-free journey, I want to challenge you to, because I didn't hear her say this either. I know she said she has the income you know, the lower income that she needs to focus on raising. She mentioned side hustles. Here's my next challenge to Valerie. Cause like, again, this is what I would be doing in Valerie's footsteps. I'd be taking Lindsay out. We'd be doing the budget. And then the next day, depending on what, I don't know if it's her, I don't know if she's working or the husband's working, but out of whoever it is, I would be whatever line of field I'm in, a line of work. I would be calling around to the competitors and seeing or like maybe somehow in a relation of the type of work that I do because everyone is hiring right now. 
Mm-hmm. Everyone is hiring. And one of the best ways that you can get a raise in your job is to go to a different company. And if you call them and you go through the interviewing process and when it comes down to the actual like, you know, offer, you that's nego- you can negotiate an offer. And probably I'm going to guess in most careers. In most careers you're yeah. correct. And my guess is that when you go to get that other job and that they send you an offer, it's probably going to be higher than what you're paid currently. Mm-hmm. And then you can also negotiate on top of that for either a higher income, better benefits, whatever it is, right. to really help you get set up in that situation. And Brad, you mentioned if you can go from 50 to 100, which is a pretty big jump. <laughs> yeah, no, I was... But if... Let's over say, time. Over yeah, time. over time. But let's say, you know, let's say Valerie's the one working and she's making the 45K. If she can go out and depending how long she's been in this job or, you know, the husband, if he's working... If they can go find another job from a competitor, just the same line of work, but maybe something a little different, I bet they could increase their income by ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars a year. Yes. I would I would say like ten thousand is and talk about side hustle. When you have a W two job and you can fund the side hustle, bringing in five, ten grand doing these things, yes. but I don't want you to think that you're too late to the game. Absolutely I mean, not. I'm five years away from 45 and I feel good. I have two k- young kids as well. You know, like all things considered, you, you should still have a pretty good run ahead of you. You might see people on the internet doing it in, in their late thirties or in their forties, but who the fuck cares? You don't compare yourself. Yeah. To I mean, you use other people to learn from and motivate you, yeah. but the retirement age is what? 62 right now. Yeah, you get your Roth IRA when you're 59. That's what the IRS considers and retirement age and a half. <laughs> so it's like you literally have 15 more years yeah. before you really start. If you're if we're having this conversation, you're 60. I might say, listen, you might be a little late to the game. You might start building a legacy for the people under you. Yeah, maybe the things you're going to do now financially, maybe they're not going to benefit you. You know, but at 45, I still think. That's not late to the game at all. Yeah. Keep us posted. Yeah. We're we I want to get some feedback. Like I said, we asked some questions. Are you budgeting? Are you doing these things? Is there a way you can work? Like this is an ongoing conversation that I, I would love I love to hear about because just like I mentioned with Robin a little bit ago, I'm curious to see what six months looks like. We look back on this podcast episode, she she hears yeah. the fear in her own voice and says, Okay, things are a little bit better now. And even if they're not outstanding even if they're a little bit forward, then she can extrapolate that out another six months and she'll start to really see. I got a point I want to make real quick on side hustles. Mm-hmm. And I think what a lot of people underestimate with side hustles is think about what an extra $100 a month could do. Mm-hmm. And think about how easy it can be to earn an extra $100 a month. Right. Go buy, go find free furniture on Craigslist or on Facebook Marketplace and you can turn around and you can flip that furniture. Right Now as a mother of two, like I said, like it might be hard to do. Yeah, for sure. You know, definitely. But there's what what you're saying is you're not saying Valerie go start buying couches for right. free. I'm just but what you're out. saying is that you will see and find things. That the more you get engulfed in this community, you're going to find things and do things that are going to make you successful. And try things out. You know, like yeah. just because one thing doesn't work doesn't mean the next thing's going to work. You know, not yeah. work either. Like you got to try things out. But yeah, I mean, when you're on a tight budget. An extra $100, man, that is huge. Mm -hmm. So I challenge you, budget if you're not budgeting, look to increase that income, and then try and figure out what kind of side hustle can bring in an extra 100 bucks a month. 100 bucks a month. That's 1,200 bucks a year. It's huge. Yeah. It's huge. It's like 1% of her salary. Yep. 
All right. Thank you so much, Valerie. Like I said, keep in touch. Let us know what's going on. So the next voicemail and final voicemail for today's episode comes from Kevin. Hey, guys. Kevin here. Uh, A few months ago, we did a cash-out refi on our primary residence to use as a down payment on our rental property. It was about $25,000 we got. The market took off, and instead, we decided to become a private lender for a local flipper. Uh, Since we haven't done a flip before, and he agreed to show us his process, Uh, our contract ends at six months or on sale of the property, and our fee is a flat 10% of the total borrowed paid at the end of the term, whichever is first. Uh, Would you guys keep this going for like a 20% annualized return, or would you rather put it into the market or use some of it for options trading, etc.? Anyway, that's it. I really appreciate what you guys are doing. Look forward to hearing from you. Thank you. So this is a good question. Brad, you've actually been through this process before as like kind of like a private lender. I want to hear your take on that, kind of what you experienced doing that. And then I'll, I have some stuff that I want to say about this money as well, but go ahead. Yeah, no, I had a great opportunity to do this and I never would have thought to ever lend out money, but reading books about, I was reading books about real estate and how I can invest in real estate outside my market because I got to be honest, like in New York, it's very, very hard to take money, especially when I know that I can send that money elsewhere. Mm So just finding out about it was awesome. Now, I was also very lucky that when I started doing it, I did it with somebody that I trusted from this community, knowing for five years what he did, knowing how big their company was, knowing what kind of person he was. And I think that's kind of the hardest thing about lending money to anybody is just trusting that person. So that process made it a lot easier for me. But there was a couple things that he said that I just want to question. I'm not really sure. He said that he's taking 10%. He had a term on it and he's taking 10% on borrowed at the end upon sale or the end of the term, whichever one comes Mm -hmm. first. That leads me to believe that he's not taking monthly payments from this flipper. And I frankly I wouldn't do that deal. That's that's not something I would do. Now, as far as like taking points or stuff at the beginning, I still, I mean- You should it, do both. Yeah, it's it's not it's not out of the realm of like, I'm going to take 1%, I'm going to take a 1% point, and I'm also going to take 7% annualized or 10% annualized. Mm-hmm. You should- Paid, month, paid monthly. You should be getting, you should be getting money every single month. The, the points you can get right, the, right in the beginning. Yep. So for example, like if I were to do it and we'll use the 10%, you know, I would say a one point, a one point up front and then 10% annualized. And when Brad says one point up front, he means 1% of the total loan. Right. So if you're borrowing, you know, $100,000 in cash, mm-hmm. then you're going to get a thousand bucks. Right. Up front as like a fee just to lend out that yeah, money. That's the fee. And and that's the first thing that the flipper is going to negotiate. And he's going to be like, oh, no, I can't do that. And well, trust me, they they need the money a lot more than you. That's why they're trying to find hard money. And another thing about taking monthly payments is that that puts the pressure. Like I've never done it with a term though. I will say that it was open-ended mm-hmm. and he took my money and I got my points and I got a monthly payment I did 7%. So, um, and like I said, once, mostly because I was learning, a guy knew me, blah, blah, blah. So I gave him, let's say $100,000. I was getting $700 every single month on top of any points that I would have taken. That puts the pressure on him to pay me back yeah. because every single month he's getting a reminder. Yep. Oh man, I owe Brad 100K. Oh man, I owe Brad 100K. And it also, it gave me the opportunity 
to oversee the, the operation. Yep. He could hide things or do things or completely just disappear if I'm not expecting to talk to him for a couple of months. He's late on his payment by a day. I have I can get in touch with him. And then boom, I find out that I the worst case scenario, you know, I can start to do this. Now, other ways to protect yourself, which are really, really huge. You need to get a deed of trust. Yep. That needs to happen. That's another thing that they will not uh they will try and negotiate out because all of these processes take they cost money as well. Like their real estate, their their lawyer should be writing up the deed of trust for you, should be setting up the more like all of that should be done. And you might get excited and be like, I just want to get in. Mm-hmm. But like take skip over all that yeah, stuff. Take the time. Make sure that they're covering transfer fees. Because if you're going to be doing this a lot or doing this with them, you might want to split it, whatever. But like that's something that needs to go in your contract. Like you are going to cover the wire transfer fees if I'm going to be wiring money somewhere else. Yep. So you have to get that deed of trust. You have to like you have to and what the deed of trust is, if you don't know what a deed of trust is, when you have a mortgage Companies can put a lien on your property, right? Which means like there's first lien, second lien. So mostly in these flips, they're buying a cash. There's no mortgage. There's no bank. So the deed of trust is essentially that lien on the property until you're paid back with all of that stuff out there. So you got the mortgage, you got everything. It's been reviewed. Pay the couple bucks from your attorney to look over. Like I said, these are all things that I remember the first time just being excited and I lost out on a good deal with a guy that I trusted a lot, mostly because he was like, no, I'm I'm trying to get this quick. I I can't get a deed of trust together, this, that, and the other thing. And I just didn't feel comfortable because at the end of the day, you're lending your money sometimes a lot to people. So when you have these things to protect you, it makes it easy. Like this one would have fell through. Yeah. And my deed of trust. Okay. Now I have this half flipped property on my hands. I saw, but at least I had access to that property. They owned it, they bought it, but I was a lean mm-hmm. on that property. So make sure you do that. Now to like answer your question. Yeah, like, you know, should he keep doing this or should he keep roll us into the market, options, all that stuff? I mean, it's still a real estate investment. It's still, to me, mailbox money. And it also returned me a lot more greater percentage. Like he mentioned, 20% annualized return. Mm-hmm. You know, if he's doing two of these every six months, that's like, who wouldn't take that? You, what in real estate, what are you looking for? 12% annualized return is like great. Like double the market, 16, call it. Yeah, but I got something I want to say on that. Okay, on so do whatever makes you money. Yeah. You know, because another good thing about lending money, especially if you're going to be involved in the process, you learn about things that you're going to be doing and, and things in contracts mm-hmm. and things with flippers and also handymen and all, all these other things, all these other contracts, you, you're also getting an education if you want it. For sure. You can give them a hundred grand and then say, uh, let me know when my money's coming back. But you can also let them know like, Hey guys, I'm also learning during this process. So like if I, if I seem like I'm asking too many questions, I'm not prying. I'm just trying to learn. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Great point. So as for, I guess, let me answer this question too first about, should he keep doing this private lending? Should he put it in the market? Should he do whatever? Again, I know we're like beating a dead horse here, but do what works for you. You know, do what's comfortable for you. But I will say this: private lending is an awesome opportunity. It's a, it's an amazing way to earn some extra cash. But when it comes to I and again, this is my opinion. There will be people who probably disagree with me on this, but when you're starting out in real estate. I almost think it's really important to build up your own portfolio first. Okay. 
You know what I mean? Like, because when you say when you're when you're private lending, your asset is just the income coming in. That's the interest being paid on the money borrowed. Correct. To where if you're buying the real estate, like you mentioned, you was gonna getting ready to use that cash on refi to purchase the property. Right. That's an asset that you get to keep in your name forever until you sell it. If I had the option of a buy and hold versus renting the money out. I would take the buy and hold. It's yeah. just uh, that's what led me to hard money. I right, couldn't. Right. I didn't have the resources. Now with the resources like you and looking in Kansas City, now not only am I looking to lend hard money, but now I am also looking to get a buy and hold. And yeah. if both of them fell in my lap on the same day, it would be no question. So, the reason I say that is because when you're earning your income through the interest of loaning out the money, that's it. To where with a rental property. You're not only gaining cash flow from you know the rents that you earn on top of it once all the expenses are paid off that net cash flow. That house that you own in your name is also appreciating every single year. Yes, and then also the tenants that are inside your rental property are paying down the loan for you. They're practically buying you a property. Yep, that's the power of real estate, and that's the power of owning your own asset. And then down the road, Brad and you and I are talking about this today. Once you get enough paid off of a property and also the appreciation goes up as well over a few years, now you're not only is your net worth higher because that property is worth more than when you purchased it, now you can also borrow against that property if you want to pull your money out, do a cash out refi, and use that same money that you used to buy that property and go buy another one with it. Mm-hmm. So technically, you're getting two homes for the price of one now. Bang, bang. It's, it's just, real estate is just a very powerful yes. asset tool to really help ramp up your net worth. Now, you got to be careful with how much leverage you want to take out, and everyone has their own risk factors for that and whatnot. But I'm not here to, to be against private lending at all. Mm-hmm. But I think in the long term, better off, you're probably coming out ahead as a owning your own property because you're having that asset tied to your name to where... If there's no people to, to lend the money to, then you don't have that income coming in. I'll also, before you wrap it up, I want to just tie in something too, which is something we discuss all the time. We've brought up in the podcast. Buying a rental property takes a certain level of ice in your veins. And like, oh, yeah. It, like for me, the passiveness, like I'm like a little bit social anxiety. Like, sure. So I'm not good at like calling up a lender or calling up this guy or negotiating with this guy. Like that's not something I do. You know, I'm not, I'm not good at like shopping around and getting a contractor and negotiating a price. That's not, I'm not good at that. So for me, until I build up that nerve or put people on my team that can do that for me, it was just a little bit more like, here, take this. Like it it was less for me to control and worry about. Like just like some people aren't built to be entrepreneurs. I feel like some people aren't built to be real estate investors either. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So actually that leads to his question though, that we still haven't answered. (laughs) Should he put that money to keep lending or go into like the market or something? And there's, I don't, without knowing the background, it's really hard to give my answer on that. We're all just talking about different ways to invest. For it's sure. Really, yeah. It's all about what works for you and what you think. But like if there's not a, a, a big investment in like your retirement accounts or like you don't have a big position in like index funds in the market. Yeah. They, you know, I I like to first say. If what's the, I mean, what's the risk and reward of each? I mean, what's like if we took it like uh, stocks, what's the best and worst that can happen for them? We can have a 30-year return like we did last year mm-hmm. on the S&P 500, or are we going to have a 30% correction? Yeah. So if you can handle those best and worst, yeah. and then real estate, flipping the money. 
I mean, lending the money out. Best that can happen, you get a fixed return every single month. Worst case, he dips. And you and lose you gotta, all your money. You know, find him, like that can happen. Yeah. But you can lose all your money in stocks too. It can, sure. it can correct to zero, yep. you know? Yep. And you can buy a rental property and someone trashes your house, you know? Right. There's just, there's just things you got to think about. Know the worst case scenario. Just like I tell people when we trade, he mentioned trading options and things like that. Mm-hmm. Know your exits. Yeah. Know, it's like, it's cliche when you get up, where are your freaking exits? How am I getting out? And know what your foundation of your investments are too. Like if you don't have a big foundation built up somewhere, mm-hmm. that may be the money you want to start doing that with. Now I'll answer it for me. Like if I had that money right there that he's talking about to use, yeah, I you know, know, do you know what my answer is? You go real estate. No, I'm buying a rental property. Yeah, you're a real estate fanboy. Yeah, so that's yeah. what I would do. Mm-hmm. I would buy my own rental property. Right. And I also I got to say this too before we wrap this up. He mentioned with the market increasing and taking off, that's why I kind of went the lending route. I know, like in me, I'm still a very beginner investor. Like I'm not very like I'm not super experienced in the real real estate market area, but from talking to the people that are and from learning from them, a lot of people that I've talked to said, you know, it's just like the stock market. Don't try to time the market because you're never going to get right. You're never going right. to be right. You may be right once out of a million times, mm-hmm. but trying to time that just right is, is, is not. So if, if you can find a deal in any state of the real estate market, you know, right now we are at pretty all-time highs, but who's to say that the market is not going to increase for the next five years, it could very well could be. Somebody put that in my Discord today. They're like, oh, I'm, I'm waiting for the correction before I do this. I was like, oh, sweet. I would love to do that. When is that happening? No doubt. <laughs> I mean, the, rent, the real estate market could literally keep increasing for the next five years. We don't know. We're in a bubble. Yep. We're in a bubble. We don't. Yeah. Yeah. When is that? When's the bubble going to pop? Yeah. No one knows. So if you find a deal, the numbers work, they cash flow. You got a little bit of buffer in there in case you do have to lower rental rates a little bit. If the market does correct, buy the deal. The numbers work, JJ. If do do work. If the numbers work, buy the deal. Buy the deal. Shout out Rick Jarman. Buy God the rest deal. His soul. Buy the deal. Buy the deal, JJ. Uh, no, for real though, guys. Like mm-hmm. that's kind of what I want to wrap it up with. Yeah. With the whole real estate thing is, and stock market. Don't get so caught up on when's the next correction. I remember talking to people in 2011. In 2012, like back when I just started, like very blatant, like I had no idea what I was doing, but like I remember talking to people and them saying like, oh, well, since 08 and 09, the market's up quite a bit. You may want to wait till the next correction. If you would have listened to them, you would have missed out on thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in in gains. Yes. Because the market has continuously gone up since then. Facts. So don't time the market, guys. Don't do it. So that's it, guys. Those are the three voicemails we had. Again, Brad and I love these because it's nice to hear the listeners' voices, hear you guys out there and what kind of questions you have for us and what we have to say about each and one of them. Uh, If you guys are interested in leaving a voicemail, you got a question, something financially going on in your life that you just want to hear Brad and I's opinion on, we actually have a new way you can get to this. Uh, We recently just launched the Average Money Podcast website. Uh, We'll have a link to it down below in the show notes where you guys can access everything. The Discord, there's a link to leave your voicemail. There's a way to connect to this on Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff. So check us out. We're also going to have some blog posts that are going to be coming up there pretty soon too. So it's another form of content that you guys can access to and go back. And if you want to read an article about a Roth IRA, we'll have those up there. 
So bookmark that <laughs> and uh, make sure you help out with, uh, you know, if you go to the website, it does help us out because we're trying to rank a little bit on Google and being a fairly new website, it's kind of hard to do that. So we appreciate the help, guys. But again, as always, thank you all so much for listening. Click to that website if you guys want to leave your voicemail and we'll play it here live on the podcast. And until the next one, you all take care.